All right, welcome back to the Ultimate Pocket Therapist. We are a mother and daughter team of Shannon and Brooke, wanting to educate and enlighten others to mental health issues. You forgot the entertainment. I know, but it just doesn't flow. <sighs> well, fine. I so know. we won't be entertaining this we're time. We're not entertaining this time. This time it's just going to be straight fact. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, folks. We no. are, we're doing without the entertainment. Maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe we can get back <laughs> on an entertainment. The comedy hour. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, before we get started, here is our fancy disclaimer. Fancy. Fancy. This is not a therapy session, and I am not your therapist. And if anything that we talk about triggers any issues with anyone, please feel free to get help. We would encourage it. Help is available. There are many resources, public resources available in every community. In fact, we want to share a great resource with you. This podcast is being sponsored by BetterHelp. Like we have mentioned in each of our podcasts, if anything we talk about triggers or brings up any issues, don't hesitate to seek counseling. Everyone has struggles, and therapy does not need to be scary. Everyone deserves to be happy, and you don't need to worry about finding a therapist near you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And as a special offer to Ultimate Pocket Therapist listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash UP therapist. That's betterhelp.com slash UP therapist. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Well, what are we, uh, what are we diving into today? Well, we're going to talk about addictions. Awesome. Yeah. That could take years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're going to cover it in just a short period of time. Perfect. Simplify. Yeah. Put your listening ears on, folks. You have to want to catch all of this. <laughs> so we've actually had a couple of comments about different addictions. So we thought we would just kind of do a broad um, podcast on addictions and kind of cover some of the important parts of them. Mm-hmm. So I think... You know, in looking at addictions, there are so many yeah, types of are. addictions. I mean, the first ones that always pop up are drug and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. We have all kinds of substances, you know, opiate, you know, fentanyl is a big one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stimulants. So other addictions, we got smoking. Like the smoking, like cigarettes and vaping. Mm-hmm. And then you also have smoking along the lines of like... Pot, pot and marijuana. Yeah. That mm-hmm. can be an addiction too. Um, I know that there are a ton of addictions rising up right now with the uh, electronics, especially oh, yeah. kids. Yeah. And I find that even in my house a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like... Well, you know, it's interesting if you watch, it's not just teenagers. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah. I am amazed. I was up at a barrel race last week and... I was watching girls warming their horse up 
in the warm-up pen with one hand on the rain and one hand on a cell phone. And I was up there early to do time onlys, which is often with young horses that are needing training. Mm -hmm. And this horse was coming unglued, spinning circles, and she did not put her phone down. <laughs> I'm like, well, I going, mean, that is pretty impressive. I guess if you can hang on with your phone <laughs> or whatever. But I was thinking, oh my word, you're there to do something. And so who knows, but it just popped up. Of, this is not just kids. Yeah. You know? No, it's not. No, no. So we also have addictions with food. Yeah. You know, all kinds of food addictions. That's probably a whole nother podcast. Oh, yeah. Eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then um, the good old gambling. Oh, yeah. Gambling addictions. Oh, I've got some good stories on gambling. <laughs> I always have stories. <laughs> but if we get to that, I've got that just triggers Well, when you've stories. been on Earth since it was created. Before dirt. Before dirt, yeah. you're going to have stories. Yeah. Yeah. I just brought up some. Yeah. <laughs> and there's... Um, Porn addiction, yeah. sex addictions. Yes. Yeah. So, and probably a lot more we haven't even touched on. We'll think of them. Like caffeine, Brooke. I'm very, yes. I am addicted <laughs> to caffeine. <laughs> I don't think it actually ever helps me like caffeine should help me, but. That's because you're addicted. That's because I'm addicted and I just build more up a tolerance. And more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at addictions, here's a definition that I found that kind of sums up um, addiction. It's a chronic disorder with biological, psychological, social, and emotional environmental factors influencing its development and maintenance. Okay. That sounded yeah, very pretty intelligent. Broad. Yeah, mm -hmm. pretty broad. <laughs> but what we what we do know about addiction, like we've talked about personalities before and how our personalities, like 50% of our personality is believed to be hereditary genetic. Mm -hmm. So it says about half the risk for addiction is also genetic. Genes affect the degree of reward that individuals experience when initially using a substance or engaging in certain behaviors. Okay. Yeah. So we've always kind of known that addictions tend to run in families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's basically why is it impacts what kind of response we're going to get when we start using substances or yeah. behaviors. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. So, and as a therapist, over the years, it's always been interesting because addictions are not really listed in the DSM-5, but what, what we see in the DSM-5, again, they, they define it in terms of substance abuse or substance dependency. Okay. Okay. And so there's always been that question about, is it a real mental health diagnosis of addiction or what there's still a lot of controversy out about where it falls. But what we do know with addiction is it's both um, psychological, behavioral, physiological, and they're characterized by cravings, compulsion, inability to stop using the drug, and lifestyle dysfunctions. You know, so it's both um, physical mm -hmm. and emotional, psychological okay. and physical. Yeah, which has always been kind of true of of stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. Of the addictions. Yeah. So anyway, another area of addictions 
that when I've been researching all this, and this is one that I've always found interesting because we hear so much about it, is addictions and dopamine. All right. Okay. Dopamine. Dopamine. Do you remember dopamine? <laughs> I've never met her, but I think we were introduced a few times. <laughs> So, we talked about dopamine with depression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chemical imbalances. Makes you feel good. Serotonin, dopamine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dopamine is the feel good one. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a lot of um, talk about addictions and dopamine response, or does the dopamine create the addiction? So, in kind of like doing research on this podcast, it was kind of an interesting um, rabbit like, hole. Gosh, I'll tell you, <laughs> everything was kind of different, whether or not, you know, what the role of dopamine plays in addiction. Mm-hmm. But I found this article from the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Okay. And it kind of sums it up probably better. And again, if people are interested in what our body physically does with addictions there's an awful lot of articles out there on addictions and dopamine Mm -hmm. and patterns of addiction okay but this article talks about that it was once thought that surges of the neurotransmitter dopamine produced by drugs directly cause the euphoria but scientists now think dopamine has more to do with getting us to repeat pleasurable activities than with actually producing pleasure directly okay okay so any idea what that means nope (laughs) all righty then okay so dopamine basically is the the chemical that is released when we do behavior that the brain identifies as uh, pleasurable okay okay such as like even eating, socializing, sex, our brains are basically wired to increase the odds that we're going to repeat things that are pleasurable. Okay, so it feels good. It feels good. So you want Mm -hmm. to do it again. Right. And the neurotransmitter dopamine is just at the center of that. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like, I'm not sure, but I would think it's kind of like adrenaline Mm -hmm. rush that you get with stuff. It releases dopamine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's that feeling good kind mm-hmm. of thing. So what we look at with addictions is that um, drugs produce large surges of dopamine. Okay. Powerfully reinforcing the connection between the consumption of the drug, the resulting pleasure, and all the external cues linked to the experience. Okay. okay. So large surges of dopamine basically teach the brain to seek out the drugs at the expense of other healthier goals or healthier behaviors. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of that reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, normal rewards aren't as fulfilling as a heightened reward with maybe drugs because of the surge of dopamine. Okay. Okay. So there's just an awful lot of information on how this works, but it's really important to realize that people who have like been sober for years can drive into a neighborhood where they maybe pass a neighborhood where they used to use drugs Mm -hmm. or a house they used to live in where they 
we're partying all the time, and it can actually release the same type of dopamine experience again. That's why we call them triggers, things okay. that trigger it. Mm-hmm. You, and then you get the craving for it yeah. at that point. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that's why it's you know so powerful. I think that's one of the reasons that addictions are so hard to overcome. Well, and you know, you hear constantly too when people say you never stop battling mm-hmm. right. it. Yeah. You're never over your mm-hmm. addiction. Right. And that's mm-hmm. why. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's kind of the premise behind um, AA. Okay. Okay. So if you've ever talked to someone who is been through AA or is in AA, so they will... So AA is... Alcoholic nominus. Okay. Okay. So with our AA, and I'll get into that and when we talk about treatments in a minute, but people will refer to them as, I'm an alcoholic. I have been sober for 20 years. They will never say, I used to be an alcoholic. Yeah. Because the premise of it is basically a day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes sense then at that point. Yeah. It really does. Because it can sneak back around on you at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a day at a time. Yeah. We don't get ahead. So we're, when looking at this, I think it's kind of important. And we're going over a lot of stuff, but really important to look at treatments. Yes. Because I think we all can identify addictions, but then what do we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what pops up for you with treatment for addictions? What would you think? Well, you know, there's that bogus thing called therapy oh hell no that's no good <laughs> but yeah, i wouldn't recommend that don't recommend yeah, therapy that's not I just gonna work silly. yeah <laughs> you just do this shit on your own guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i think uh definitely some therapy yeah um and maybe more of the drastic down the line of like a a treatment center yeah, yeah. where you remove yourself from Right. Triggers basically, Mm -hmm. and you have that more institutionalized help. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's always the ones that pop into my mind yeah. is, you know, cause you see on movies where you hear people like, oh, they went to rehab and that's right. essentially mm-hmm. what that is, is mm-hmm. a treatment center for addictions. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, actually, um, one of the things that I've done over the years of have worked with different rehab currently I'm working with an adult rehab right now that comes out once a week, work with the horses, doing equine therapy. Mm-hmm. And it starts out, it's a program that it's uh, residential. So the people live there, like I said, it's adults and they usually are there 30 days or 60 days or nine days. It's a 30 day program. Okay. Yeah. And that can be effective, but what we see with, with any of these programs and I'll talk about more is I think all programs are effective. All everything is effective if the person wants it to be. Yeah. You're only going to get out of, well, anything in life, really, Mm -hmm. you're only going to get out what you put in. Right. And we see that a lot with not just therapy, but with dealing with addictions Mm -hmm. and substances. Yeah. So types of traditional treatment, going back to the 12 step program or AA, and I think AA is really interesting because when they they go on something called the big book. Okay. And if you've ever been around someone that has been to SA or NA or AA, any of the, you know, treatment parts that are 12-step, they talk about the big book. And when I was researching it, this big book was actually written in 1939. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So this has been around, this premise has been around for a long time. But AA is a 12-step program. And basically, it focuses on a lot of spirituality by nature. You believe in surrendering to a higher power. You believe in God. You believe you are powerless against your addiction. It has a lot of steps to it. Well, 12. <laughs> 12. Is that what they call yeah, it? 12-step yeah, program? Yeah, 12 steps. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And then there's also the 12-step um, like traditional program where you don't really have to surrender your life to God or higher power, but you use a lot of the same ideas behind the 12-step program, but it's not as spiritual in nature. Okay. Yeah. And I think those over the years that I have worked with addictions are still really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's other ways to deal with addictions, but, you know, this really, really hits it. And then there, you know, addiction treatment programs, like you said, for alcohol and drug rehab, both inpatient and outpatient. Mm-hmm. So inpatient can be a hospital type of setting. It can be a, a residential treatment setting. And outpatient tends to be where you go during the day and it's pretty intense, and but you go home at night. Okay. Okay. So people that do well in outpatient have to have a lot of structure I think a lot of willpower. Yeah. Okay. Because you basically go home and you're home overnight. So you've got to make sure you're not going to partake mm-hmm. of whatever it is you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're essentially mm-hmm. loose on your own. Yeah. And I've known a couple of people um, that I've worked with that have done really well without patient, mm-hmm. but they went home there one was a lady that was going to outpatient to deal with um, painkillers. Mm-hmm. She was addicted to painkillers. And her husband had finally given her the ultimatum. Yeah. And she went to an outpatient program and he had n- no hope that it would work. He was like, oh, this is bullshit. She's not going to do it. She's going to come home. And while she was gone, he went through the house and found every stash of painkillers she had (laughs) and threw them all away. Well, good. But she ended up not only doing really well in the program, but she went on to be a sponsor. Oh, so explain a sponsor for people who don't know. So these programs like AA is really big on having a sponsor assigned to you. This is the person you call when you are feeling the craving. This is the one that you call 911 in the middle of the night and say, I need help. I want to drink or I want to take drugs or I want to, you know, Mm -hmm. do porn. And they are kind of your mentor. And they're usually your sponsor is someone who has been through the program and is usually currently still in the program. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they are your go-to person. Okay. Yeah. And that is one of the premises of all these 12-step programs is they usually all have sponsors. Well, and it makes sense too, because a lot of times um, yeah. someone in your family, who a loved one, wouldn't be able to really help or even know what you're going through. Right. Because yeah. they hadn't experienced it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to have someone that's oh yeah farther along mm-hmm. in their right. recovery mm-hmm. that can re- relate to you. Right. Yeah. I think that'd be definitely a, has to happen. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. I think it's really important. You know, I think that's a big role 
in that. Um, so inpatient, outpatient, residential treatment. There's also holistic. Holistic. Tr- yeah, holistic treatments where you kind of really focus on mind, body, and spirit, not just the physical part of the addiction. So you take an entirely holistic approach Mm -hmm. to that. And I have had a couple of people do that. And again, it's been pretty effective. Okay. Mm -hmm. One one person that um, I was working with that wanted to deal with kind of addictions had gone down to a program and it was somewhere in central Utah, I don't know where, but it was kind of based on a, on a Native American approach. Oh? Yeah, of kind of like releasing all the different toxins in your body, releasing any negative spirits or things that might keep the addiction going. Goes back to that whole, the demons you yeah. have. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just thought of that. And she would went down there for like a weekend Mm -hmm. and she said she came back she was so sick when she came back because of so much that i think had just been released out of her body oh i'm i'm sure Mm -hmm. but it was very beneficial for her yeah yeah and again i think that any of these treatment centers you have to be ready right to do it and and have enough of an open mind you know someone very closed off not believe in anything spiritual, not believe in, you know, just very black and white thinking would probably not benefit from a holistic approach. No, But someone who has always been open to all things, a holistic approach would probably be fantastic for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then like these other programs, I remember that she kind of had a support group that she kept in touch with online mm-hmm. and that of people down in that area. So people that were thinking the same way she was thinking about her addiction, mm-hmm. you know, on the same page. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also with some addictions, um, they use medication and medication can be used to like help reduce cravings Okay, and also help with withdrawals. Okay. And stuff. So there's another one. And you brought up therapy a while ago, and I have to tell you something funny about therapy. It, it's a whole crock no, of no. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not that therapy's funny. But actually, individual psychotherapy is not thought of as one of the better ways to deal with addictions. It's thought of as a support mm-hmm. to other ways. And the reason why somebody can come in my office and sit down one hour a week and lie tell y'all be high when they're sitting in there even oh yeah (laughs) i've had that happen yeah yeah and it's like so traditional psychotherapy is not our first go-to place with addictions we need kind of intense support and work that's why these programs are probably more beneficial Mm -hmm. you know but there are people who can quit on their own yeah you know i've i had a, a dear friend years ago that had smoked since she was 14 and she was like in her 40s, and she just decided she was done smoking. Wow. And this is someone who smoked at least two packs a day. Wow. Okay, yeah. heavy smoker. And she went to her doctor. He put her on Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant, but it's also somehow tied in with helping people with addictions that I didn't know. This mm-hmm. was, and she went on Wellbutrin 
and bought a huge bag of sunflower seeds. <laughs> <laughs> I would go see the shells from the sunflower seeds and just be piled up on the coffee table because that's what she was doing to occupy her hands and her mouth to yeah. do some 30 days of Wellbutrin and sunflower seeds, and she never smoked again. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So people can get over addictions without these intense programs, but it's yeah. hard. I think the more intense programs go with the more intense mm-hmm. um, addictions too, you know, where a lot of addictions you're coming off, you're going to get withdrawals. Right. You almost need to have mm-hmm. a facility equipped to help you right. detox. Right. And the stories we hear from our um, participants in our group that come mm-hmm. and that, you know, these people are heavy into addictions, Yeah, you know, drinking enormous amounts of alcohol, substances, you know, yeah. where their life is basically ruined if they don't do something about it. They're, they're going down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so question for you, can any age, anybody, can addictions get anyone like is there a you know how like we were saying like you know everyone can be depressed but more women are more diagnosed Mm -hmm. or you know narcissism men are more diagnosed what about addictions like any age yeah the sad thing about it is kids are actually real susceptible and you brought up the electronic thing i think Mm -hmm. we're going to see more and more coming out with that yeah i see mild addictions in my kids with it sure where it is like we'll be out doing something and all they want to know half of it's because half of my kids are really adhd so it doesn't really (laughs) help either (laughs) (laughs) so i'm kind of maybe not (laughs) relating the same but but they'll be you know when are we done here mom when i get home can i play xbox mom can i when i get home can i do this and it's like guys like enjoy the time yeah Yeah. just give me four hours Uh here yeah. You know, chill mm-hmm. out, but they want to know when they can go mm-hmm. back and be on the Xbox again. Uh-huh. And yeah. yeah, so I and again I think there's that fine line between yes, they are addicts to Xbox and also the ones asking me are ADHD. So we have, <laughs> we have hand two hand. Uh, two fires being fueled with that. We have a dual diagnosis. <laughs> a dual diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So kids. Oh, that brings up do we have time for stories? I've yes. got some stories. We have. Oh, of course we have time for stories. <laughs> stories. Yes. Yeah. If, if, if we're running too long, they can shut the damn podcast off. Oh, that's true. They there don't is, have to there is a stop button. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of age, so it brought up an, a story, well, a couple of them back from when I worked on the Indian Reservation. Yeah. So if you guys haven't heard, I think maybe episode four... Or a few episodes back, um, I got off on storytelling. <laughs> well, we did a whole episode on when um, Shanette was a social worker and licensed police officer on the Ute Mountain Ute Indian Reservation. Reservation. Yeah. And so when we say Indian Reservation, that's actually what it is called. That's right. not us yeah, you know, not slurring slur- slangs or yes. any being racist at all. That is still yes. today what these establishments are called. <laughs> so no one gets yep. mad at us, please. <laughs> <laughs> We're politically correct. Yes. But the the first story that pops up is, um, again, I was a child protective worker. Okay. And so we often had crises in which we had to remove kids from homes and put them in foster care. And this particular 
it was a Friday night and I had gotten a call that I needed to go get a child and place him in foster care for the weekend. I won't go into all the circumstances, but I had to, had to go get him. Well, I couldn't find a placement oh. at all. And, um, I called, you know, back, there's no cell phones back there. Mm-hmm. So I called anyone who had a phone that could, I made trips around the reservation to family members, grandparents, no one was available. All of our foster, I could not find a placement. Mm. So we were actually licensed as emergency foster placement placements in the event that these circumstances like this came up. You as employees? Yes. Of the, okay. So I packed him up and off I went home Friday night with a five-year-old. <laughs> you guys had no kids yet. No, no. So I walked through the door and Paul goes, oh, we have a visitor. And I go, yep, we do. So he stayed with us for the weekend. And my husband, Paul, is a landscape architect. And he had an office with a drafting table. And it was also in our spare bedroom. Okay. And... So I had unpacked all of this little boy's toys and everything I had packed and put in the spare bedroom and, you know, showed him where he was going to be sleeping and stuff. So he disappeared for a while and went in the bedroom. And I assumed he was just getting his toys out to play. Mm-hmm. Okay. And after a while, he comes out and he has got green marker all over his face, mostly around his nose. Oh, and I went, oh, so I see you got in the markers. So what were you doing with this marker? And he said he was sniffing it. And I said, really, how come? And he goes, well, that's what Uncle Uncle Troy does. And he didn't even know what he was doing. He just knew he was modeling behavior. Oh my gosh. And, and we, just to let you guys know, the markers that my dad uses to are do, potent. They are <laughs> so potent. They are. They are true blue markers, artistic markers. Yeah. And I remember helping my dad color things when I was pregnant and literally wearing a gas, gas mask. mask. Oh, yeah. You look so pretty. <laughs> I was so yeah. sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because they are yeah. so, po- oh my gosh. So, yeah. So he was actually not even realizing what he was doing. I don't yeah. think he'd even understood at that age that it was to get high. Right. But at that period of time, we had a huge problem on the reservation with inhalants. Wow. Horrible problem. A lot of the young kids were sniffing anything they could get their hands on. White out, you could not leave white out around in your office. It would be um, taken. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. If you had on your desk and you had somebody in there, the white out was gone. And this is way before you had computers with correction and stuff. So you're literally using white out on typewriters. You know, <laughs> so I know, old. I know, it's aging me, but you know, all the reports that we had to type and stuff, yeah. we had white out. And it would be gone. Oh my gosh. I guess would... I've never even played with whiteout enough to realize that yeah. it would have a inhalant oh, yeah. effect to it. Anything, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. But thy next story is even sadder. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Let's end on a high note, Mom. Yeah. Let's just kind of <laughs> keep going here. So is the story. So this is a story of another little boy. 
and he was seven. Is he from uh, the he reservation? He was the reservation okay. again. And he was seven years old. And he was absolutely out of control. They could not control him in the classroom. We got calls from the teachers all the time. He was in foster care. The foster parents could not control him. He had anger outbursts. He would destroy things. Oh, my gosh. And he was absolutely not able to be placed in a home. Like the definition of a terror? Yeah. So we ended up placing him in one of our programs over in Durango. And it was for, it was a residential treatment for young kids. Okay. Okay. And we placed him over there and he was over there for not long. I can't remember. It's been so many years, but I remember it was pretty short lived. And we got a call from the director of the group home. And he said that this child was not appropriate for the placement and we needed to do something else. And come to find out, he would be so out of control that they would lock him in a timeout room and he had destroyed the walls in the timeout room and had a hole in the floor. How old is this child? Seven. And oh he, they gosh. had to chain his bed down because he would flip his bed over and just, he was out of control. Not all the time, but when something triggered yeah. him, he was totally out of control. So we had a meeting and we ended up moving him to an evaluation center in Albuquerque that was the BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs. And it was an evaluation center for treatment. We, we got him down there and he went through a series of tests and psychological batteries. And it ended up that he had back then, this is a very old diagnosis, okay? Mm -hmm. But he had organic brain syndrome, secondary to substance abuse which basically is an old diagnosis. It was back in the DSM-3, way back, you know, in the when, archives. When that of, was written yes. on a typewriter. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, um, but it basically, the old commercials that you would see on TV about, this is your brain, and this is your brain on drugs, and they had a, an egg in a frying pan. Oh, so yeah. basically your brain gets fried on drugs. That's what had happened to this little boy. What? So his brain was literally fried and he was seven years old, and they figured it out from substance abuse. Well, I started like questioning history here. Well, yeah, because okay? it's one of those if he's seven, who's giving him this stuff right. or what? So I went to visit his aunt because he was a little boy. One of the reasons he was in foster care is he really never had a place to land. So sometimes he'd stay at his aunt's house, sometimes at his grandparents', sometimes at a friend's. So he was just always everywhere. Oh, okay. Poor dude. So we put him in foster care because he had no stable one place to live, no mm -hmm. stable home. So anyway, I went to his aunt's house because he was often with her. And I was telling her what was going on and asked her if she had any idea what he was into or what was going on, what would cause this. And she says, Oh, I wonder if it's because. Every night when I go out to shut the garage door, he's in our garage sniffing gas out of her son's motorcycle tank. Oh, that would do it. And then she would shoo him away and close the door, and then he would come back. And I said, well, how long do you think he's been sniffing gas every day? 
And she goes, oh, I don't know, hard to tell, quite a while. Probably from the time he was big enough I to unscrew a cap. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So again, you look at the process of addictions, he was obviously getting something from that, a high, probably hallucinogenic, whatever it would be. But he had sniffed gas for a long enough period of time at age seven that he had fried his brain. And that will be forever. Probably. I I don't know how that works, but you would imagine. That repairs that. Yeah. Be my guess. There's always going to be some. Yeah lingering effect from that at least probably yeah if not completely fried for the rest of his life yeah. oh yeah that's and i so have sad. i have no idea what happened to him or what you know the rest of that story is but yeah when you talked about kids it was like oh yeah i remember him oh isn't that sad yeah it's yeah. so sad so yeah kids are not immune to addictions mm-hmm. okay and they're they're easily available and that's the thing that we really have to watch with parents is kids we always grew up with the idea that kids would sneak alcohol or sneak a cigarette or something but you know it's everywhere yeah well and it's scary too with the whole kids thing and just keeping an extra eye on your kids because they're a lot of times they're smarter than you are with Mm -hmm. technology and you don't know what they're watching yeah and there has actually been quite a few kids that I've heard of that have been addicted to porn, mm-hmm. basically, just by stumbling across it. Yeah. And yeah. it just starts this right. huge issue for yeah. them. It does, yeah. that pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so sad. It is. It is. So, yeah, we do see addictions at all ages, you know. Yeah. So we don't get get to just man hate this time. No, no we got it. We got to just let everyone be lumped <laughs> in on this one. <laughs> everybody gets, but I think you know everybody probably has been around someone that has struggled with an addiction of some kind. Yeah, you know, and I have clients right now that really struggle with just an addiction with vaping, mm-hmm. and you know it's not really interfering in their life but it's just something they want to stop and they've tried everything from throwing all their vaping and their juice or whatever they call it Mm -hmm. and then going back and finding a few weeks later they end up buying it all over again yeah 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 so an addiction doesn't always have to be a Mm life-threatening well and it's true like me with caffeine like Mm -hmm. i am definitely addicted to caffeine and yeah i know that's the one that a lot of people are oh yeah especially Mm -hmm. if you just kind of have an addictive personality Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, you that, ended that one on a high note. Well, there, on a high note. Yeah, darn it. <laughs> Let's so just much, get everyone depressed. Yeah, and then, so um, much for entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't add it in on this one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that what probably just sums it up. But if this triggered anything and people are out there struggling with addictions I think the main thing that we have to realize with any addiction is there is so much help available. Yes. You are not alone. And if you start looking into possible treatments, they're across the board. You can do it online. You can do it in groups. You can do it privately, mm-hmm. you know, so. And I think people, loved ones, employers, I think mm-hmm. everyone wants you and the end goal is to have you healthy. Yeah. So don't be afraid to open your mouth and get some help and right you know if you're worried about losing your job just oh yeah be honest and Mm -hmm. i I bet you odds are people will want to help you help Mm -hmm. yourself yeah 
I've had employers call and pay for sessions for employees to come in. Uh, one guy with a gambling addiction. Yeah. His employer paid for him to come in to try to do it because he's missing work. Yeah. And he was a very good employee. Yeah. You know? Yep. So there's help out there. Yeah. There is lots of help. Okay. Well, that will sum it up. Yes, it will. Okay. All right. We'll catch you all next time.